0: I just don't listen to podcasts. Um, so you telling so me you don't
1: listen to Lead Them to Life,
0: Tony? I've listened to a n- way more Lead Them to Life than any other podcast I'm super—you've so listened
1: to, like, two. That's super honoring. <laughs> I've listened
0: to four. <laughs>
1: Okay, which, we're really getting somewhere in our which, friendship.
0: Which I've never listened to more than one of any <laughs> show besides that. <laughs> I
1: am so honored that you have listened four times. That brings me it a great amount of joy.
0: Over 400% more. That's
1: it. Like, yeah. Over 400%. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of the three shows that I've listened to.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. You're listening to Lead Them To Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Ledum. Hello, friends, and welcome to leadum To Life. I am super honored to be sitting down with my friend, Tony. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. How are you, my friend?
0: Doing good. It's a busy time of the year, uh, but... Today is a good day.
1: Today is a good day. Okay, tell us a, a few fun facts about you to get us started. Who are you? Tell tell us all the things.
0: Yeah, I'll try to keep that short. <laughs> uh, I am. I work for Focus. I'm a regional director with Focus, where I get to serve multiple campuses. So I serve the campuses in North Dakota, most of South Dakota, most of Nebraska, and I'm married uh, to a lovely woman, Carrie. And we have four kids, Xavier, who's six, Colette, who's four, Avila, who's two, and then Rose, who I believe is five months. But don't quote me.
1: I'm impressed. <laughs> I, I never get, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. I'm like not one of those moms that's like, we're uh, 27 months and 39 months and 65 months. Like, it's like, they're like one-ish, maybe, yeah, two, I, somewhere around there.
0: I don't like the months thing, but my wife. So I'm trying to remember the last time my wife has mentioned the months. <laughs> the months so that you can and kind base of go my by. answer on that. Wise man, uh, so wise that's man. That's where I think we yeah, are. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. But so she's great. Yeah, Carrie is just a gem. Okay, so in this episode, we're gonna um, we're gonna talk a lot about kind of suffering and uh, really the purpose of suffering, meaning that can be found in suffering. But I thought maybe a helpful place to start would be for you to just share kind of why this is a close topic to your heart and why Emily called you and said, hey, would you come on the podcast to talk about suffering and the purpose of suffering? How's that for a starting point?
0: It's perfect. Uh, You know, suffering has been a really significant part of my life. It's played a, a major role in a lot of my conversion or reversion, however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it shaped who I am and the way that I see life and engage my faith. Um, it's played a big part. And so uh, it's more specifically um, to kind of give you a sense, like obviously there's suffering that happens to a lot of us all day is on different levels. Yeah. Uh, the two significant pieces of it for me is once when I was little, not once, when I was little at when I was nine years old, uh, my father um, committed suicide, mm-hmm. and so that obviously had a really big impact on me and my two brothers at the time, and left my mom, who's an absolute hero of mine, uh, to raise us and to walk through that tragedy, yeah. that suffering with us. And I was very fortunate, but my mom had the faith that she did, and my grandma, and it really helped us solidify the faith in our lives. Um, and so even
1: from that early stage, like even when you were nine, 10, 11, 12, you started to see that in your mom or even before that, I suppose.
0: Yeah. We had a clear understanding of the faith as in its truth, its reality, um, and the fact that we had nothing else to lean on. Okay. And so that was clear and it wasn't, I wouldn't say that at that point I knew, what a relationship with God meant or looked like. I hadn't reached a maturity level to really wrestle with that, but I knew the importance of my faith and how it saved my family. And so I knew the role that it played within that suffering specifically. And it wasn't until later on in college when I hit a really tough time uh, that I started understanding that relationship component and how important that was. And so it was definitely still a process, uh, but that was a key point of understanding faith had to be central. Hmm. Um, so that was when I was nine, and that kind of shaped a lot of who I am yeah. uh, on an individual level. And but for my family, uh, more specifically, around the time that Xavier was... Three years old. So
1: your oldest son.
0: Yes. Sorry, my oldest son. Yep. Yeah, yeah. uh, when he was, I think, yeah. three years old. Yeah. Yes, it was three years old. Uh, he he got diagnosed with a genetic muscle disease called spinal muscular atrophy. And that came at a, a very huge shock. It wasn't something that we knew ran in the family on either side. Um, it was something that uh, we had dormant, basically, in our genetics, And it happened so that Xavier had both of those copies of the gene and got the disease. And that was obviously shaking, uh, shook us to the core. And it was a really tough time for us. On top of that, within like about a four-month period, we found out that. We found out we were pregnant, and we knew that 25% chance that all our kids would have the same disease. We went through a miscarriage, Mm. uh, and then we found out we were pregnant again. And then we had some also— uh, extended family stuff as well. And it was just a really hard, suffering time of six months that has also shaped a lot of our family dynamics and our my marriage and uh, really helped us to again engage in the same way I did when I was nine to understand that importance of our faith. And we were pretty faithful. We both have uh, a pretty strong relationship with our Lord But in a family sense, that was a really important stretching and growing period Mm -hmm. uh, that was really ignited by that suffering and that opportunity to enter into that.
1: Yeah. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit. So Mm -hmm. uh, losing your dad when you were really young, uh, you mentioned there was a turning point for you in college. So can you talk a little bit about what that was? I mean, were you like— I'm all in. I know that faith is central. I know that I need God because uh, I've experienced this grief and and this sadness. Did you start to resist that in college? What was that experience for you? And then I want to come back to to Xavier and your story there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I I looked back. You know, after my dad died at nine, uh, we we were very fortunate in a family where my mom met on. Unbelievable man uh, who she married when I was about 11. uh, And he adopted us three boys and went on. And they they had my two sisters and then adopted one from Haiti. And he's done an unbelievable blessing in our lives. And so there was some kind of closure a little bit to that in my mind that Mm -hmm. I thought that a lot of my dad's death I dealt with then.
1: When you uh, were nine.
0: When I was nine. Yeah. So I was under this belief. An
1: adult can look at that and say no, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. But yeah,
0: at that age, I was just like, that happened. God blessed us with uh, my dad, Pat, who is the man I look up to as a father, as a husband. Um, He's been a great role model for me and my siblings. And I was like, that's, and I don't, you know, I don't hold a grudge against uh, my dad who died. Uh, So I felt like I had handled that and in college i kind of went the normal college path even with those moments i still ended up falling into the temptation that college just brings as far as the party scene and all the uh, stuff that comes with that and i kind of hit a rock bottom piece and I wasn't sure why. And I wasn't sure where that was coming from. And I wasn't sure why. And you why. were playing
1: football at this time, too, right?
0: I played football my freshman year of college. Okay. And then I tore my ACL, which actually was kind of the. It was part of the pinnacle. The, tri- yeah. the trigger to kind of the rock bottom yeah. point. And they, I just, I didn't know where it came from. And I went on a retreat. And it was a retreat about the Holy Spirit. And it radically opened up my heart to what's going on and allowing God to really reveal what was happening. And what I came to realize in that retreat was there was this deep wound that was caused for my dad's death that made that changed a lot of me as an individual and my relationships in that I was believing this lie subconsciously that I had now earn love, that it wasn't something that uh, I deserved in a, in a sense, that I had to earn it. And what mm. I was doing because of that, even though my dad was unbelievable at that time and he was loving me well, I wasn't able to reciprocate that. And what I was constantly doing is pushing off my problems and only sharing the good stuff in my life. I was only sharing what, the good stuff because I didn't want them to see the bad stuff. I didn't want to mm. people to see, specifically my dad on earth and my heavenly father. I didn't want them to see my brokenness. Because subconsciously, I was afraid I wouldn't be lovable. Mm. And that drove me down the path I did in college because my, what became the biggest priority in my life was make friends to what, you know, the sports was driven because I wanted people to think I was... To like me, to
1: see me, to to know me, to love me
0: Um, and to see the good. And then I just Mm -hmm. hit all the bad and I let it get worse and I just ignored it and it put me down this rabbit hole. And so, coming to realize that, I realized this wound that that stemmed from my father's death, and I was able to allow God into that and so allow God to love it? to me.
1: What did that look? You know, because I I think sometimes when I hear uh, something like this, number one, thank you for sharing it because mm-hmm. it's such a perhaps not the the uh, practicalities of this situation are an experience for many, but I think so many of us have lies that we start to believe about ourselves in, in, in our stories that shape the way that we interact with other people and, and how we approach them. And when it's brought to our attention, as this was brought to your attention, okay, I have this wound. Then I think it's easy to be like, okay, Lord heal me. And sometimes it doesn't work like that. So what was that process like for you of coming to name it, acknowledge it, and then start to move forward?
0: Yeah, I think the actions, at least, yeah, a lot of it was the naming and acknowledging within that retreat and even being aware that that something was a problem. I had just no idea until Mm -hmm. it was revealed to me in prayer during that retreat. And from that, I was just like, I can't, a lot of this stuff, a lot of this spiraling downwards was caused by this. I couldn't continue this path. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had to come back to the realization that my faith had been my number one priority, that God was central to my life that that relationship uh, shaped everything. And so uh, there's two main things within that that I knew I had to fix, and that was my relationship with God, my Father in heaven, and my relationship with my Father here on earth was kind of the starting points. And I had to acknowledge when I screwed up. I had to be able to share and be vulnerable in those relationships. Was that scary? Oh, it was absolutely terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, and it wasn't immediate. It was definitely yeah, slow. a slow process, you know. And uh, I had to let a couple other friends in. And uh, yeah, it was is making seeing that reality of if I'm not vulnerable and true, then they can't love me the way that they that I need. Um, and anything beyond, if I was putting up a fake person, what I was really doing is shielding myself from being loved. Mm-hmm. And so it's this lie of twisting this lie of like I'm not lovable to I'm incapable of receiving love if I'm not vulnerable and real, especially in these relationships that are most important to me. Mm -hmm. And so that also stemmed into my friends and allowing my friends in. Uh, And, yeah, it kind of put me on a path of being in a Catholic men's house and uh, diving into men's groups and and doing things that uh, allowed me to continue to grow in the way that I needed to.
1: So was it in that vulnerability, that process of becoming vulnerable with with God, with your dad, with your friends, did that allow you to start seeing the suffering of it all more clearly? You know what I mean? Because I, I can imagine that it would be like, okay, when you put on this this these glasses of vulnerability, being honest with yourself and being honest with others, you start to see the world as it is a bit more clearly and perhaps suffering, too, more clearly.
0: Yeah. Again, it wasn't immediate, but it helped me to understand more, a number of things, a number of truths, Uh, one being that God's with us in our suffering, that he doesn't abandon us in the midst of it. Healing from this wound um, and, and opening myself up to that, even the relationship with God, helped me to understand that he doesn't, He's with me in that suffering, that Mm -hmm. he wants to hold me in the midst of it, that he wants to be with me and present through it all, uh, that he weeps. Some of my favorite parts of the Gospels is when Jesus weeps. Uh, It's just a powerful reminder that he suffers when we suffer, especially when it's due to the brokenness of our world. Mm -hmm. And that was a truth that I was unable to fully accept or understand without the healing that I needed. Uh, the, other, the other truth that I was able to clearly see is that the Lord wanted me to do something with my suffering, that it not only wasn't meant to change my life, but that I was not called to keep it to myself. And so a lot of my desire that led me to be to a focused missionary came from that moment of I went through this and this transformation and this reversion back to my faith, and it was selfish if I didn't share it. It was selfish if I didn't help people see and understand the love and the relationship that God wants with them. And that really kind of catapulted a lot of my desire to to evangelize mm-hmm. um, and to to do it as best as possible and to have an opportunity to share my story to share this truth with others.
1: Mm-hmm. How do people typically respond?
0: They, you know, in the midst of suffering, it's really tough to talk about the truth of suffering. Yep. Um, so it really always depends on where they're at. You know, it's it's one of those things in the midst of it, it's just really hard and yeah. it's it just, and they're on different points. And if they're not, I think they're able to see and make some of the connections as we kind of walk through the truths of what suffering is and the role it plays that I think helps prepare them hopefully uh, down the road for whatever suffering might be Mm -hmm. uh, on their horizon. But yeah, most of the time I speak from my personal story, uh, and the nice thing about testimonies is no one can tell you that it's that not it's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, So it's usually my starting point is just simply saying this is my experience and this yeah. is the truth that's come evident because of it. Um, and then I'm able to, from that starting point, to dive into some of the truths yeah. that can hopefully open up and, and help them to realize that in the midst of suffering, uh, you have two choices. You can allow God into it uh, and use it as opportunity for growth. Or you can keep God out of it, and it kind of just festers, and it mm-hmm. can fill it can form wounds like mm-hmm. the one that I formed when I was young. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and it's interesting because I'm sure everybody. Oh, I know everybody carries suffering so differently. I think that's been excruciatingly clear actually coming out of this pandemic, right? As we're, as most of the world is kind of entering back into normal life, I've just been reflecting on what the last three months have brought. And it was very clear to me that people deal with the suffering differently. Mm -hmm. You know, some grieve, some are in denial, some experience anxiety. Uh, For for you, how would you say you experienced suffering uh, two decades ago? (laughs) <laughs> As opposed to now, has it changed or is it the same? You know, like is your natural temperament to kind of experience suffering in in the same way, and has or has how you dealt with it changed?
0: Yeah, part of like like pre understanding the woundness and growing in that, uh, a lot of suffering I ran. I think I took on the world's understanding of suffering of hey, it's useless, it's pointless. Run avoid your it. life. Run, just yeah. run. And that's basically what I did. Yeah. Like I remember I remember when I was like in high school, something bad happened, like maybe a bad grade or something like that. And it would come up when I'm laying in bed in my mind. And I would just perp, like, I would physically try to push it out of my head. Out of your brain. And just forget about it. Completely yep. distract myself with something else, usually sport related.
1: Yeah.
0: And I- uh, <laughs>
1: Thank you for the honesty.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's what I did. I just pushed it yeah. away and I said, Hey, maybe it'll go away. And yeah. I, I literally started believing that if I don't think about it, it will just go away. Mm-hmm. And, and did that, it made it worse every time made it so much worse.
1: And that's very common. I think you're not alone in that. I think there's a lot of people that kind of approach things that way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, and it was interesting now looking back, uh, when I think about now, how I deal with suffering, I think back of my dad right now, um, my dad, Pat, and I remember as a kid, he, uh, he has a rather large head, uh, which <laughs> he won't appreciate. I probably told people that, uh, but it's filled
1: with brilliant thoughts. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay.
0: And, uh, he used to hit his head all the time, uh, doing projects and stuff like that and stuff like, and he'd be, he'd go, "Ow!" Oh, and immediately like, are you okay, dad? Are you okay, yeah. dad? And I was like, I had just learned a lesson. And that was like his common response was it was an opportunity to learn. It was an opportunity to grow. Um, And that's, that's, I think how I've approached suffering quicker now, or come to that realization of like, I need to allow God in, Uh, you know, me and my wife specifically with our suffering, we don't keep it private. Uh, Now we're not posting on Facebook necessarily all the time everywhere, but we, don't want to keep it private we want to be vulnerable to those that are close to us and we we look as an opportunity of how can we grow through this how can we end up better on the other side i think even with like the coronavirus stuff is that mentality of okay this is this is what's happening this is reality we can't do anything about it how are we going to be better for it? Mm-hmm. How are we going to grow from it? How are we going to understand ourselves better and our relationship with God and how He's integrated into our lives, into our family, so that this is not a wasted opportunity? Mm-hmm. How can we offer this up for others? How can we join Christ on the cross through the suffering? Um, and that's something that, from understanding, like the growth from understanding that wound, um, I've been able to do quicker. It's not always perfect, sure, uh, but quicker I, within the suffering process.
1: Well, because you still the process. You mm-hmm. still have to go through the process, right? It's not like suddenly now, every suffering that presents itself, you can receive immediately in great joy and delight, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's still a process that you have to go through.
0: And yeah, and and not to be afraid, like yeah, suffering. It's is, gonna happen, and it sucks. Like yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's not gonna go away. Yeah. You know when when we found out my son's diagnosis and he's our oldest uh and my only son you know the immediate thoughts of man he's not going to be playing football in college like i got an opportunity to or all these really shallow human things but those are the ones that immediately came to mind those were the emotions um and understanding like his quality of life is going to look different than i ever expected my mm-hmm. son to have when he was born and that was those immediate things and I don't believe those are wrong. Those are those are part of the thing, and in the process that, that we've been growing in is okay. That's true, and that's that's real and human. But how do we how do we ask God into that? Mm-hmm. How do we see God in the midst of that? How do we mm-hmm. understand? And we had unbelievable graces come from our experience with Xavier and allowing people to, and asking people to pray that helped us even grow in this more of. God is truly present and wants to do beautiful, wonderful things through our son uh, that we could never have imagined when he was born. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to understand some of his plan through this. And what a blessing that's been through this unbelievable suffering that we went and the shock and of the finding out about his diagnosis to be able to enter into that and to see that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's meant to everything.
1: Yeah. Okay, I need to come back to that, but I want to rewind really quickly to that process. Was it important for you to name those specific things that you were grieving? He's not going to play football. He's not going to do these things that I maybe expected. And the reason that this is coming up is because I literally had a conversation with a friend of mine who happens to be very close to you about an unexpected pregnancy and grieving not being able to buy the new swimsuit. That we were going to buy, and we just bonded. This friend and I, not to be named, we bonded about like, man, I was really excited to buy a new swimsuit, and I'm not mm-hmm. going to fit in it anymore, or whatever. And I think, I think it's actually like really part of the process to name those specific expectations or those memories or those ideas of what we saw, right?
0: Absolutely. I don't know.
1: I don't know if that's been helpful for you. It went not only with Xavier but with your dad too. You know?
0: Absolutely. I, I think it. You have to name it to invite God into it. Yeah. And people are going to process differently. In that moment, I believe I mostly did interior processing of like these disappointments sure. and being able to name it in prayer. But other times, it's like I talk to my wife or I talk to uh, close friends and I'm just like, hey, this is where I'm at. Yeah. And, and I like, just got to be honest about that. I just have to be honest because it yeah. is part of, yeah, it's part of that process. Um, but it's always in the sense, the the difference that I try to focus on is like, I don't want to, I do it so that I can continue to grow through it. Mm-hmm. I do it so that I can continue to allow God into it, that I can continue to move towards yeah. that reality. And it's yeah. not necessarily to stay within that.
1: Yeah, that's and, a great And I think that yeah. was
0: one that I had when I was younger. Like if, if I was to name out to be like, man, don't you think this is awful? And then I yeah. want to hear them say it's awful. And then I'm reinforced yeah. that it's awful. And then I stay yeah. in it. It's like, like the
1: emo days of high school where you just like <laughs> want to feel all the feelings and then yeah. stay in the feelings. Yo. Yeah, for sure. So if I have high school <laughs> listeners, I'm sorry, I did not just mean to offend you. You're not emo.
0: <laughs> no, but it's 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 tempting. Right? Yeah. It's tempting to be like I deserve the I deserve to mourn this more. Yeah. I deserve to stay like, in it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, interesting. And and sometimes that's subjective, some of that's consciously um but yeah, that's the difference I think in my sharing Pre and after, like growth in understanding this is that sharing is meant for me to invite other people to help me grow, to help me go through this, to help me invite God more into it. Um, and so I, I come at it from a different angle than I did before.
1: Okay, so here's my question Has it been hard to receive that from other people? Like, has it been hard to receive? For you, especially as the dad of your house, the man of your house, has it been difficult to invite other people in and to receive the outpouring of love? Do, you, know, you know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, my pride is still very present.
1: Not that I knew that uh, that, that was going to be your answer, <laughs> not that I baited that question or anything like
0: that. No, I'm still I'm still a broken uh, man. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, no, there's a pride thing. I, I think I'm growing in it. I believe I'm growing in it, and uh, there's areas that I understand the help that I need, and there's areas that different suffering I'm good. opens up. I'm
1: fine. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so, you know, with Xavier, there was certain people that offered significant amounts of help uh, that I that I literally took months to accept. That wow. I just was like, I don't know if I can do that, and I and it was all pride in Mm -hmm. the end, it was all pride. And I have various reasons, whether Mm -hmm. it's like I'm the man of the house or I need my separation or whatnot. But to accept that was really hard for me, but it was also, it was obviously really healing for me too, because again, it's centered on pride. And so though I don't want to get to a place where I'm constantly seeking handouts uh, in every situation, at the same time, I have to allow people to help me one, because I can't do it on my own. Yeah. Uh, I was never created to be able to do it on my own. Um, And God, I need God and God works through others. Mm -hmm. But also it's an opportunity for them to allow God to work through them in that, uh, to use the gifts that they've been given to help me. And so for me to say no stunts my growth that I need, and it stunts their opportunity to allow those graces to flow through them to others. Wow. And so when in those moments, that's what I try to come back to. Of like I don't have a right to say no, and again, it's it's not a perfect system, and and every suffering uh, gives its own challenges that mm-hmm. I face. But that's one kind of piece of it is really hard for me. But I've tried to grow within those principles.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's it's just really fascinating. I think we all can can attest to the various sufferings of our lives, right? Like nobody's immune, unfortunately. To suffering, and it evokes love in the beholder. It evokes this response in me when I see another suffer of sympathy, of empathy, of grieving with them, of Whatever and hopefully vice versa, right? Unless you're heartless and you just have no feelings or something. Uh, but but I think it does. It evokes this response often. Hopefully we want it to. We want it to evoke this response of in other people to step in and to lend a helping hand and, and all of those things. And yet it can be difficult to receive. And one of the questions I'm pondering is if that's different for men and women.
0: I think I think if it's hard to receive, it might not be diff. I think all of us struggle to receive in some ways. I think those ways are probably different. Hmm. Interesting. I think, I think that's what I would say. I yeah. think, yeah, I think both men and women struggle to receive in some ways, but I think it looks different. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. I've. Never well, I'm just like looking yeah. at
1: like me and Matt as a case experiment experiment and you and Carrie as a case experiment. And I feel like you and Matt would kind of share a little bit of that. Um, difficulty perhaps in receiving like charity or receiving help, unless it's you that's initiating the invitation. If that makes sense where I feel like Carrie and I would be more like, come on in. (laughs) Yeah. Like help with the laundry or what? I I don't know. Maybe that's not, maybe that's, uh, and that's of course very generalized and, Mm -hmm. and, and too simplified. But I wonder if there's something in the nature of men and women that, changes the way that we respond because of the, just the identity of like giver and receiver. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. I think, I think there's definitely a difference. And I think there's obviously a lot of factors, personality, cultural, all these different pieces and past history. Yeah. yeah, How we dealt with suffering, how much stuff, all that stuff plays into it. But yeah, it definitely is one where one size doesn't fit all. Yeah. Uh, an experience and, uh, but I think in in general there's similarities
1: Yeah,
0: uh, that sometimes are obvious and sometimes yeah. you have to dig a little bit for. Yeah.
1: Well, like I said, this is always a place with more questions than answers. So yes. a question to be pondering. Okay, Tony. So one of the, the last things I want to ask you is a question that you have been pondering. Uh, this, this is really just an invitation for our listeners to think about something that they maybe haven't thought about before. Um, Is there a question that has been on your mind, heart? It can be fun, big, silly, little, small, huge, anything in between. Anything in between. What do you got?
0: Yeah. uh, I was trying to prepare for this and I feel ill-prepared somehow still.
1: Do you want me to keep talking for a while so you can think about it? I always offer that if somebody gives me a look like, oh man, like there's so many questions that I've been pondering, but I don't really know what it is. I'm like, well, I can keep on chit-chatting all day long, so...
0: No, I, I'll offer this. This is the one that I legitimately have wrestled with uh, over the last number of weeks, and um, it, ha- it has to do with parenting. Mm-hmm. And this is a realization that due to free will and a lot of other factors, um, I don't believe it's possible to determine whether or not y- you parented well Based on a result. Mm. I don't think the result of my kids when they grow up and based on their choices um, is the answer to saying, did I parent them uh, well or not? Interesting. I don't think it's the result. I think it's something else. I don't know what that something else is.
1: What's the something else?
0: And that's, that's my question is... And it, it, part of me comes from a competitive nature of, like, I love things where I can keep score. I love things that have objective realities that I can base my success on or base, you know, like, yeah. whether or not I'm succeeding or not. Something Data. that's yeah, yeah, that's clear in some way. And parenting is just not one of those things. And so it's the one thing I wrestle with the most of, like, I know I need to hand on my faith. I know that I need to um, instill virtue in character to the best of my ability, I need to protect my, my kids at, you know, to different degrees throughout their life. And I know some of these principles, but the question is, how do I know if I'm doing a good job or if I succeeded in some way? Um, because I have known people that are unbelievable people and I believe they're unbelievable parents and their kids get rebellious and they go off on their own path. And they're and murderers. It, yeah, or whatever <laughs> that might be. I don't have experience there. Uh, <laughs> but they, they I don't think that reflects necessarily that they were bad parents. Mm. Um, and I don't know if I want the answer to simply be, I tried the best I could. Yeah. Um, I think that's obviously a component, but I think there's something more to that. And I, I believe it's making God the center of your life and sharing your faith in a radical way. Um, and, and allowing my kids into that and to see that to hopefully create the foundation that they're able to pull from when they make those choices later on in life. Um, but it's one that I continue to wrestle with because I, I wish I had an objective score in some way. Yeah, but and there's I, something else. But there's it, it's too important yeah. to have just an objective piece. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think I've been wrestling with the most.
1: What's the something else. That's yeah. a great question. Man, well, thank you for sharing it with us. And Tony, thank you so much for just sharing your heart. And, and these things are obviously like deeply close to your heart and deeply personal. And it's just, it's such a witness to me and uh, you know, this already, but one of the reasons that I, that I wanted to invite you on to just share some of your story in this platform on this platform specifically is because it's been a huge witness to me thank you. Uh, and a huge witness to, to Matt and I as, as parents, as a married couple, but also as friends. So we're just, yeah, so grateful. Uh, I'm going to take, can I put your email in the show notes? Is that okay? Absolutely. So I'm going to put, not that you can say no, on.
0: <laughs> sorry.
1: No pressure. No, I'm too private. And
0: yeah. they're yeah. talking about vulnerability. Yeah,
1: no no joke. <laughs> well, I'm going to put your email address uh, in the show notes. So friends, if you want to uh, follow up with Tony on any aspect of this, this is really the, the, probably the closest thing to your heart to accompany people on and to just share with people and so if you want to send to tony an email um, i'll be sure to put, include that in the show notes uh, and you can continue the conversation there so friends thank you so much for listening i hope you have a wonderful wonderful week and we'll see you next time